0: This is the At 530 On Main podcast. I'm Sean
1: Collins. And I'm Mike Davis. And we're here to discuss the convergence of digital and physical experiences in today's world. With Extend Group as an expert in designing online experiences and VPS architecture, an expert on creating
0: physical experiences, you will hear unique discussions on technology, theory, and more that merges our separate areas of expertise into one podcast experience. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy today's At 530 on Main podcast episode. Okay, we are at the At 530 on Main podcast. We're in the extension studio here. Today, we are looking at episode number four of the At 530 on Main podcast. The At 530 on Main podcast is a collaboration between Extend Group with Sean Collins and VPS Architecture, Mike Davis, and we're just... and we're interested in the conversion of the digital experience and how that meets in today's world, the traditional experience. Mike is an architect. He designs buildings. He designs consumer experiences. Uh, Here at Extend Group, I work with clients to help their customers understand their experiences online and how they uh, they can move consumers to a conversion or to an action. And with today's world, those two lines, the physical and the digital line are uh, blurred. Digital is in the physical and the physical is, we've merged the two. So the At 530 on main podcast is a series that uh, we just have questions of individuals that are in our community. And today we have Matt Thebe. He is the vice president at Lensing building specialties. He is responsible for all the architectural sales that happen within Lensing. He has, from what I can read into, he ha- the organization has multiple uh, commercial accounts and different business units, but Matt is in charge of all architectural sales. And that's a big component. I believe Matt and uh, Mike both have a collaboration there in their business. Prior to joining Lensing in 2009, Matt was the assistant vice president of corporate banking at PNC Bank in Indianapolis. He earned a bachelor's degree in economics from Denison, is that correct? University, and an MBA with a concentration in finance from Indiana University's Kelly School of Business in Indianapolis. He's a great community guy. He's the chair-elect of the United Way of Southwestern Indiana Board of Directors. He's the director of Easter Seals Rehab uh, Center Board. He's a member of Habitat for Humanity's Transforming Lives Neighborhoods Campaign, as well as a youth sports coach, which man, that in itself gets you five stars. That gets you right in into the pearly gates there, Mr. Uh, Thiby. and. Matt and his wife enjoy a hectic pace of raising their four children here in the wonderful town of Evansville, Indiana. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Mike. It's exciting to be here. And for those listeners out there, just hang in there. I'm sure the second half of the podcast will be worth checking out (laughs) on your commute home.
0: My goodness. Yeah. I mean, I had to read through. I mean, can you do any more? I mean, what else could you squeeze in there?
2: Uh, Well, thank you. You guys are busy guys yourselves. So it's a fun time to be uh, raising a family, contributing to the community, and of course, growing our business and uh, helping uh, what I call home grow. Mike,
0: how's VPS? How's your design experience going? (laughs)
2: Life is good right now. Busy,
1: busy. And so busy for us means busy for Matt and his team. So, uh, we always try to utilize them as much as we can keep it local and see how we can grow business together.
0: I like that. Keep it local. So, uh, when it comes to, uh, looking at what, uh, Lansing building specialties does and some of their consumer goals and really to you, Matt, like what does the word experience mean to you? Like when we say we're, cultivating consumer experiences that thrive, or VPS says that they want their consumer to feel the space that they walk into or experience the space that they're in. What does that word experience
2: mean to you? You know, I attach uh, emotions to experience, and not necessarily touchy-feely emotions, but the emotions of, this is difficult to work with, or I'm not enjoying this experience, as sort of can happen frequently in the construction, commercial construction environment. But I also attach uh, feelings of security and safety or comfort in a a positive experience. Uh, It's often taken for granted, and I know it's a topic we may get into, what's a good design, but uh, I was going to say that I think often good design is taken for granted, and a good experience is often taken for granted. The emotions are generally positive and you only remember the ones that are out of place. So
0: so with lensing when you, you know, talk about the architect experience and the business experience with the contractor, does that experience it's not always sunshine and rainbows?
2: You know it it seems like it ends there most okay. of the time and that's the way it should be. In building uh, buildings, uh, we're uh, often a supplier or a subcontractor on a commercial construction project and so that process is a journey, and it doesn't often uh, go without difficult decisions, without interruptions in the schedule, without honest misunderstandings and the occasional uh, dishonest misunderstanding, but it is uh, an experience that normally does actually end pretty pretty darn positively. Otherwise, there wouldn't be many of the same players uh, participating in the same project you know, time and time again. Uh, When you talk about those experiences and
0: those relationships, I mean, we talk in the in our world, the digital agency world, you know, 10 years back, the average customer experience lasted, you know, 10 to 12 years Mm -hmm. in your area of, of concentration like ours has went down to now in the, the digital agency world, we're down to two to three years, and then the client's moving on to the next one. That's just the internet of things, more options, more opportunity, kind of the race to the bottom. What What's your average consumer experience? What time?
2: Sure, and so, you know, we would say that we, on average, have two types of customers, and I'll probably focus my comments today on our commercial customers, uh, not so much our residential customers, that would be your normal homeowner. So on the commercial side, I think we're very fortunate as a company. We were founded in 1948, and we have relationships that have uh, that continue to this day from that time period. Now, wow. that's certainly not the norm, but I would say that it is the norm in our commercial business that we have relationships that are easily a decade, two decades, three decades. I think it's awesome that I have the opportunity to work with members uh, second and third generation members of families that have their own business that worked with whether it be my parents my uncles perhaps my grandfather it's a very unique position to be in so i i do think commercial construction in general and in this market has enjoyed some stability in terms of who's involved i would also say that we value long-term relationships more than we do next week's sale next month's sale so uh, there have been challenges whether the challenge is one that we created by maybe some uh, difficulty on our end, whether it was inherent to the project, we've always tackled those challenges with a long-term view in mind. And by and large, it seems to pay off with a with a long-term relationship.
1: And I think it's also a little bit of innovation on that from uh, we're both in the same field and if you're just churning out the same old same old, That's correct. You're never going, you're going to die off and you're going to go away and you're not going to keep those clients because clients are constantly, and now it's getting faster. And so now we lean more heavily, I think on the supplier end to say, what's new? What do you guys have that we could take to our clients and present or use in our buildings? And going back to what Matt said earlier, it comes down, I think bad relationships. It's the more you leave everything up to interpretation down the line, the more you have that headbutting, but the more clear you can make it, this is what we want. Um, this is what we're designing. This is what we're going for. This is the experience we're trying to create. Then they understand what they're providing, and there's less interpretation, right, to, to make mistakes. So
0: for the individual that's listening to this podcast, can – Matt, can you give us a little bit of what the experience is, how you fit into the holistic approach to how a building comes together? You know, Mike is the architect, there's the GC, there's all like, how does Lensing building specialties fit into this mix?
2: Oftentimes, uh, at its simplest uh, answer, we're providing materials uh, and Most of our focus in the architectural sales division is on openings, and that's a catch-all term for, could be the building envelope, such as a glass and glazing that that provides the exterior skin, so to speak, of the building. It could be uh, the dock equipment and roll-up doors and and commercial garage doors that are used for freight coming in and out of the building, or or partitioning areas within the building off, maybe there's a climate-controlled area, uh, and then needs to be separated from a non-climate controlled area, but the, the door that separates that area needs to be a high performance door rapid cycle. We'll provide those products and installation services. And then it's as simple and as as obvious and interactive as the doors and the door hardware that everyone uses in and out of the building every day. And so that that is the general product set that we would provide. And we get those materials to the job site. That's the simplest answer. The real dirty work is in the design up front and collaborating with uh, folks such as Mike on the front end well before pricing's even arrived at. Just this is what the client end user is trying to achieve. Can they achieve this in a code-compliant fashion? Are there new products out there that help them achieve this in a more efficient manner?
1: Yeah, and just as an example, I think we just did a project recently and we worked with – and people don't realize – Doors and door hardware, we had a 10,000-square-foot building. We had 18 different sets of door hardware and door functions. And some of those were multiple door. You might have three of the same, but in the end, um, people just – they don't realize that the door works, but to get the door to work, I mean, you're talking about 18 different configurations, locking mechanisms. Uh, That's yeah. correct.
2: The number of decisions that uh, someone new to the door hardware discussion – Yes. Would have to make, it often surprises them.
1: I'm already surprised.
2: The 18 sets, Mike referred to, each set potentially has four to six decisions within a set. So four to six times 18, that's the number of decisions that had to be made at the design stage. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Including, you know, whether it's fire rated, whether it's, you know, co-compliant exit hardware, all this stuff.
2: Electrification.
1: Yeah. And it has to function, you know, so you got to... Guy installing a frame, he has to make sure there's a wire in that frame. If it's electrified, all, all that stuff, and a lot of people just it, it can be. I mean, I know if I need a good nap, I want to take the door stack and try and figure it out.
2: <laughs>
0: so, IOT, Internet of Things, yes. is changing the way that yes. you do
2: business. So, Mike mentioned evolving earlier, and that's and he's absolutely spot on. That's how we've been able to maintain long term relationships. Case in point, there was a time in our company's history that we accepted rail car deliveries of sand and then broke that down into smaller packages for distribution. Now, of course, it's been a long time since we've done that. But to give an example of how we've evolved, we now are a well-experienced and a capable provider of electrified wireless lock sets that you can control from your smartphone. Yeah. School administrators have turned to us and, and design teams have turned to us to help provide uh, lockdown features, and so we're in a fortunate position where we can say we can take care of you from the latch bolt on the door all the way to your server. Oh, wonderful! And so, yes, we, that's quite an evolution, right, from rail car deliveries of sand. Yes.
0: So, when you go about making that step, how is the collaboration with your suppliers? Is it is do you bring? Uh, that talent internally, or do you work with your suppliers to make sure they're educating you on the next level, uh, what what that looks like, and then your staff takes it from there? Or are you really looking to your supplier supplier to be a part of that team?
2: It's a it's a very good question. We're not a manufacturer. Uh, we're not making the products that we're uh, installing and servicing. However. We believe we add a critical element of expertise and that we know how it works in the field. Manufacturing uh, does comes up with wonderful innovations. Unfortunately, sometimes they're in the ivory tower or in just in the research lab. So we do have our own test bench where we're able to take their latest and greatest idea and put it through our own set of, how will it work under these circumstances? Or what if you do it this way and ask it to do something that they haven't marketed that can be done? So we do feel we bring that hands-on approach to it. And of course, we're taking advantage of their training uh, in, in a semi-formal setting. You know, It doesn't necessarily turn into a week's worth of classroom education. I think Mike would attest to this. The construction industry is not one that's well-taught in a classroom environment. It, it really can only be learned in the field, uh, especially when you get to the construction stage. Yeah, no.
1: It- same way on our side, lessons learned, what, you know, if we're trying to get them to understand the function of a door, sometimes it takes a couple of site visits and a couple of walkthrough. This is how we want this to function. Yeah. I think we've had some in a couple of hospitals that, especially with like an infant abduction, as a real challenge with doors because they got to be able to lock down, but they also got to be able to release on a fire, you know, emergency. Right. They can't be locked down during that. So there's all kinds of things, and, and I think being able to program those doors are really going to change everything, change a lot of what, how that happens. So they have to educate us as well as
2: – I think uh, a role that we uh, provide to our vendors is that we provide feedback on how it's actually going to work yeah. in the real world because we could take meetings all week long with a vendor saying, look at this latest and greatest thing that we've just invented. And oftentimes, they've done a nice job of solving a narrow niche, but there's got to be a commercial uh, scale factor to it, right? So to Mike's point, there is a a difficult opening in a certain environment in a healthcare uh, setting. But you you might come up with a solution for that one opening, but it's got to work campus-wide and it's got to work in a variety of applications. And so I'm, I'm thinking of one just last week. They, they said, look at this new Bluetooth technology we're going to use for door locks. It would work for your office door. It would be an excellent application for your office door. It wouldn't work at the front door. It wouldn't work at the back door. It wouldn't work if there's any turnover and who occupies that office. Right. So they think they've invented a, a magic solution, but we're able to provide the feedback well, yeah. congratulations on, on a project that has 200 doors on it. You've you've successfully designed something for three of them. Right.
1: Yeah, well, and that's talking to facilities people is very important to our job because they've seen it all. They have to maintain it. They have to take care of it. They have to change things when something changed and the, the boss is like, I need this fixed. Well, if it can't function that way, the way they function, it's not going to work in the end.
2: Uh, let me. If, I don't want to uh, perform an advertisement here, but let me talk about a concept that I thought was uh, interesting at the time that it launched, and then we can talk about the pros and cons of it. So a company decided that the uh, Internet of Things was the wave of the future lock set, but it also realized that not every facility or end user or designer was ready to make a leap into a fully connected and wireless solution. And that the old keypad lock for some folks was good enough for now despite you know the many cons of a, of a standalone keypad lock so they designed a lock set that was adaptable and you could maintain the lock set on the door which is the bulk of the expense and the and the installation labor and just change out a few components at the uh, top and the reverse side of the lock set and that was an innovative approach however, it came quickly apparent that the the steps to convert and upgrade weren't feasible. And so what we have seen is that some folks have just skipped all the early steps and just gone to the fully loaded feature set. And so I, I often wonder how much R&D was spent on trying to make it modular when the rate of adoption clearly pointed to just go to the full-blown solution.
0: Yeah, and – that's uh, similar when we talk about at Extend, where with our automotive uh, manufacturer clients, you know, the Internet of Things is in play throughout the automobile today. And, you know, everybody has 72 apps, you know, yep. that are all, you know, connected, whether it be, is it Sirius, is it... Um, you know, am I going to have Alexa installed? I'm going to have all these these items. But then when you take it down to the parts manufacturers, their customers are actually the technicians, the one that throw – like when that vehicle needs service, uh, they have to turn and know how to get their information the quickest. Well, at one point in one stage in the game, every, every manufacturer, like whether you're a fuel pump manufacturer, a water pump manufacturer, uh, an O2 sensor manufacturer – Everybody that had a component on the vehicle wanted to have their own app that where you scan the vent of the car, like it brought back their particular part that was for it, that had the installation video. I mean, this is groundbreaking stuff. I mean, we're only going back like eight years, but the industry had never seen it before. We made those things. But after we created one and we created three and then we created five, all of a sudden we always consider our customer is the guy or gal who throws away the box. So they're going you know what, that's great. But I just want one of those because I work on multiple brands, multiple, you know, series, like I don't need one just for ignition coils. And I don't need, like, I need one that has everything in it. And now you're talking about standardizing an entire industry. You're talking the ACEs and the PIES data is how uh, manufacturers catalog their parts. Well, then that would have to be distributed from a global or a, international organization that was trying to mandate how all that was, that information was being dissected into this one app. And uh, we were building those in, let's see, 2011, 2012, and there's still not one today that has reached the end consumer that has all those things. So yeah, you talk about all the R and D. We have built the one, the five, the many that, they're great they're award-winning the use user interface is spot on the the technicians love having them in their hand and and just the one one scan here or the inner three digits here and it brings up exactly what they need but that's only for like one of you know thousands of components
1: yeah i mean we do it in this in our world all the time because when it comes to money Everyone talks about standardized. We're just we're gonna do the standard this and everything's gonna be modular and everything's gonna be this. But as soon as you start involving the end user, you start involving the customer and the client and and get what they want, they go, Oh, that's great, because it's gonna save me money. Ah, but can we change this? And this and and then pretty soon everything's custom. Yeah. And so with us, you know, 3D modeling being able to take a curtain wall. I always say this when when we have BIM, it's like Manufacturer wants architects. Here's a little secret. Suspect their stuff. Give us 3D models of it. And give us something that has parameters that we can stretch and pull and still work within your parameters, like a colony or curtain wall or something like that. Because that's what we're going to use. If we have to create ourselves, then it's a lot more time consuming for us. And you're probably just going to get the generic, right? The generic version. And we're going to say, good, you guys interpret how this is going to get done.
0: So in the, the good old days of web development, we had we had waterfall technology, and I was talking to uh, Aaron about this yesterday of the, okay, we're going to ideate, and we're going to come out with our standard, uh, you know, what our statement of work is, and the statement of work will have everything detailed, and then we go into each one of those details has their own project plan, and everything went one at a time, and, you know, that would be from ideation to statement of work to actual wireframe designs and then how those would be converted into uh, user interfaces with color and theory applied to them and then that goes to the programmer and those bits and pieces go into how they do their piece and at the end the consumer the customer our end user would be able to then use the prototype today agile all of that happens all at once is there a similar like with the you know we talk about the convergence of technology and physical experiences is is that all happening and
1: it's all happening yeah 3d model world and people are jumping on board or kind of falling back because ultimately at the end i think what's going to happen i would guess within five or ten years is that we're going to build a model and that model is going to be handed over to an arc sales and it's going to be handed to the contractor and it's going to be handed to everybody. And they're going to do all their takeoffs and they're going to know exactly what they're doing and what they're providing. And that building's going to be built in a 3D environment yeah. before it's built in the, in the real world.
0: So you say the sketches or the buildings completed is is in the future. Would it benefit everyone involved as that 3D model is being evolved and established internally? if it was notifying all those suppliers of what changes were being made before they,
2: you know, so if they you, could chime in. If you listen to the BIM experts, they would tell you that it's happening now. And it is happening in limited instances. And there are buildings in Evansville that have benefited from BIM, the use of BIM in their construction. I'm not aware of any buildings in Evansville that I would call 100% BIM okay. documented. Uh, me- meaning, what I mean by that is maybe structural maybe building envelope got most of the way there maybe he- heating maybe mechanical most of the way there and at some point in my experience i've seen i don't know if the term is bim fatigue but you know the number of conflicts got overwhelming and at some point traditional means and methods at this stage were more efficient in in resolving and it doesn't mean bim's wrong it doesn't mean it doesn't have use cases it just means that the adoption and the efficiencies of it are still being worked out it, it you know the world wide web wasn't always as efficient a right. tool as it is right now right so
0: so when you say fatigue so that that experience of all those that are involved is that like i have three more alerts that this project has changed and like here it is here it is here it is and everybody's checking their inbox and there's more and I'll more i chime more.
2: in real quick i'm sure mike has more vivid examples but i recall a Relatively small building and uh, maybe three- or four-story building. And on one floor, there were over 3,000 BIM conflicts that needed to be resolved. Building got built. Building got built. It's a beautiful facility. It functions very well. All that got resolved in the field through traditional means.
1: And and to piggyback on that, a lot of that isn't necessarily BIM not working as much as I call it old-school thinking of this is my silo. That's not my silo. You deal with that. I'll deal with this. And then there's no coordination and communication and going back and forth. Change gears here real quick. What's uh, something you use every day that you think is well-designed? It can be anything.
2: So the good news is is I was tipped off on this question because who knows what answer (laughs) I would have given on the spot. I I
1: would expect your sandwich or 7-iron. There
2: you go. It's (laughs) certainly not my driver. Uh, You know, I'm going to give a simple answer here. And the reason that it came to mind is that I take it for granted, right? And Mike had brought this up earlier, so thanks for the introduction. A code-compliant door opening. And I'm fresh off attending our annual industry conference, where our industry association has renamed themselves the Door Security and Safety Foundation, and deservedly so. The statistics on the improved evacuation procedures in New York City Following the September 11th attacks, when compared to the previous World Trade Center bombing, are heartening. And the number of folks who got out uh, that were in a position to be able to get out due to efficient evacuation protocols and the fact that uh, door stairwells were protected the way they should be protected, but also provided egress, is just maybe the most high profile example. But on a day to day basis, I actually enjoy being able to go to healthcare facilities around our town, educational facilities, my own kids' school, and have sort of taking for granted the ability to come and go through that building in a safe and secure manner, and know that, especially right now, there's protections and and designs put in place, both for the unfortunate event of a fire, which should allow us to egress the building in a safe and controlled manner, but also in the event of, unfortunately, uh, uh, an active shooter. And so there's a way to, a code compliant and thoughtful way to protect the building occupants in both scenarios. And I, because I'm in that work so often take it for granted, but I also would surmise that the average user and visitor to those buildings doesn't appreciate the thought.
1: Well, yeah, and we always, as architects, we always talk about doctors, doctors have a potential to kill that one patient. Right. <laughs> we have potential if those doors don't open, if they get stuck, if they're not swinging the right way, whatever the case may be, that you could kill 100, you know, trying to rush out. I mean, you see it in these nightclubs uh, Is the one example right. that comes up, the people, it's not co-compliant, the facility has too many people, smoke starts filling it, whatever, and everybody gets trampled and they get smashed against and, and people die. And that's what happens in our world. And so a lot of people don't understand the importance, but we can go into a lot more of that of, of when people are designing a space that aren't qualified, that just the things that can happen and everybody just thinks, oh, it's no big deal. What, uh, I watched HGTV.
2: Yeah. Hey, I, I think – what do I enjoy using? I, I think when you enjoy using something, you almost don't notice. Yeah, You just take – I was thinking about this. Well-designed spaces and, and spaces that provide good experiences. It's as if it was always that way. Grand Central Terminal I had the opportunity to visit there this summer in New York City, and you don't appreciate that it wasn't always that way. You just wow, this is impressive. It, it must have always been this way. Right. Uh, the Empire State Building. We were in New York City. I cannot fathom how functional. And, and lasting that building is for the age of it yeah. and for how long. You know, it's recently been surpassed. Obviously, is it's not the tallest building in New York City. It was there for a time after September 11th. And for a building that old to have been sustained that long, that's a testament to design. But I think it's easy to just look at the Empire State and say, well, of course it's that way.
1: Yeah. Well, that, yeah, our world. Everyone notices bad design. There you go. They That's don't well pay attention, said. But good design is like, yep, got it. It's nice.
0: There's always the, the standard and I th- just think everybody always looks at it. Everybody, well, a bit large portion of the digital community has an iPhone or a, a Mac product of some type. And when you look at their online experience, that online experience has been the same. For years, the UI, the UX that went into it, and the the flow in which they get their end consumer to the products that they need, and the way that structure has been there, and it was thought out well before we are at today. Today, it's a uh, well we're going to we're going to launch it and, going to it, and we're going to relaunch it, and we're going to relaunch it, we're going to relaunch it. There was a lot of thought put into that, and if you look at iTunes as well, which is actually where everything you know that software distribution started. That UI is still very much similar today to what it was when it first started. So, uh, Apple's an easy one to pick out, but it's very standardized. It's very consumer focused, and they put a lot of time and effort in the beginning to even have it where it's at today. And everyone's like you said, you don't even notice that you're using it, and
2: and it's been I'm, the same. I'm not an Apple expert. As a proud Samsung Samsung Android oh, okay, user. So here we go. Uh, and and no, I don't think my phone will catch on fire during our <laughs> session today I would say that you know one of the uh, pillars of them being able to accomplish that is that they were in control of an ecosystem yeah. and and it just makes me think how wide and diverse the ecosystem is in commercial construction and design. Wow,
1: but that's why what the that? design teams I mean, wasn't too long ago. I know Matt's dad will can not attest to this, but there'd be spaces and they weren't that big and it'd be like, okay, the third time redesigning and constructing it because they build it as cheap as they can get it done, remodel it the next year, remodel it the next year. And by that third time, I, I think we got it right now, as opposed to now where people are starting to understand, hey, have these design meetings, get everybody involved. It's a design team. We're all, so design it the first time that's right.
2: You know, Mike, uh, having worked with Mike in the past, here's a, a just a bold-faced compliment to Mike. He's willing to have the conversation on the upfront and, and work through the use of the space or the inf- intended function of the opening and take compliments to him, take the upfront design seriously. And occasionally that means that things folks don't want to hear come out. Yeah. But the old adage of, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, there's been many times that uh, just in the door hardware scope of work, uh, uh, a meeting up front saved out hundreds of hours of on-site remedy. And so, you know, if a 90-minute meeting and conversation with an end user saves an electrical contractor from having to redo their scope of work and then a drywall contractor having to repair drywall that's already been installed and then I mean, it. that was maybe just a third of what was involved, potentially.
1: Well, just even the all-important key meeting.
2: The all-important <laughs> key meeting. How the keys are
1: set up saves everybody a lot of headache of not getting a bunch of keys that don't function the way they want it and having to go back and revisit it. And we're just like, well, we got to have this key meeting. And usually it's one and then it's another one because, again, the the end user doesn't even understand how many keys can be involved and to, how many to be fair, the end user,
2: bigger. it's a, not a topic they interact with often, and the number of decisions is, at first, overwhelming. Yeah. And when we try to have our team help break it down into basics, we can give suggestions and guidance. We can provide the pros and cons, um, but ultimately, the user has got to. Really drive the bulk of the decision making because they are going to be "quote unquote" living with it.
1: Oh yeah, how's it going to work? Because the worst thing you want from an experience is um, we can't lock any of our office doors because the keys are wrong or whatever the case may be, and we or, didn't realize uh, we we're going to function.
2: The lowest level member of the staff has <laughs> right. key opens everyone's doors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, all unintended consequences of a
1: all solved by. A, a, key good, key a good, a key good, keen meeting. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like that could be uh, several hours. Actually, they have been. Yeah, they have been. And oh, they're, they're and
1: we usually participate in those. And I'm sure in the past that wasn't the case, but I usually try to get in there with a highlighter and say, "Okay, look, th- these are how these function. Like this is an egress door. This is a."
2: If I could just pass along one tip to any of those listening who may have a key meeting coming up in their near future or have a member of their team administering a key meeting, I, I, from our perspective, having seen key systems, we've maintained key systems for end users for decades now, please key the building as you would like it to operate. Please do not key it to your staff the day of the key meeting because staff will come and go, and how you trusted this individual this day may not be how you trust the next individual. Sounds like a
0: very good piece Mm -hmm. of digital content that could be a great checklist.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a nice little checklist for uh, how to facilitate the key meeting. Check one, check two.
1: It, It very much is, and even I think there is some software where you can actually have that meeting digitally if you needed to. And every door would be – and essentially you can say, okay, this is you know key, master key, obviously everything, but start at the lowest level and say it, it's going to open these doors. And it highlights all the doors it's going to open. They see it on floor plan. So, I mean, it's getting there. That's all part of the BIM
2: and, process. And back to the evolution comment on the Internet of Things, some folks are going to be saying, key schmies, that's not the way the world yeah. anymore. Eyeballs. It's, it's access control and – And so we have been involved with biometrics opportunities, presents a different set of questions, involves the IT department, which is good, but also that's another set of stakeholders that have questions and want to know why and how and what are the requirements of them. But just going to keyless entry to card access, for example, or key fobs is a common term you'll hear, that doesn't necessarily excuse anyone from the key meeting or what it needs to become is a keying and access control meeting, there are still a number of decisions to be made. In fact, let's put a little bow on it if we can for a moment. Good design is the result of an incalculable number of good decisions. Yes. Yeah, I read a uh, blog yesterday that was basically
0: passwords be damned in our industry because now it's facial recognition and, you know, thumbprint. So your phone will do both of those, and if it brings it up, it should immediately let you in. And the thing of the good old password
2: right. is now going to be
0: uh,
2: phased out in we, some user experience. We, in our little corner of the world, we're not surprised to hear about the recent thumbprint, fingerprint identification vulnerabilities. Uh, having been around biometric readers, we're well aware of the pros and cons. And, you know, I've sat in numerous uh, demos where the end user was hook line and sinker ready to put in thumbprint readers or fingerprint readers until to to the vendor's credit they said let's talk about the balance between security and convenience because you want efficient quick transactions through these fingerprint readers yes yes we, we can't have we can't afford any wait or recognition time and so they take a gummy bear and they put it over their finger and they put it on the machine wow and they're now able to bypass
0: I was going to like Hobbs and Shaw where they have the fight scene in the... And And they actually take the person... And they actually take the person and slam their face into the...
2: Hollywood uh, always does a good job of overcomplicating things. In real life, it can be more simple. Simple as a gummy bear. And so then you have to... That prompts the next layer of discussion about how are we going to use biometrics and what are the security settings that we're going to have. And it's almost back to the key meeting. Folks often want a key for convenience and then that erodes security you can have the same trade-offs discussion in biometrics.
0: I think I'm going back to you know our, our question on what is a product that you use every day that was designed. The key is like it's there. Have them for my car, you know, have them for my house, and, and all those things. But it works today. It works yesterday. It'll work in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's enjoying a resurgence, if I will. Again, I think card access and keyless entry are absolutely uh, continuing to grow, and and we've enjoyed helping this community adopt those technologies. However, the key is enjoying a resurgence for a variety of reasons. I can tell you. Because it is, <laughs> digital is not ready to solve every every door opening just yet.
0: Well, yeah. I try to you know connect my garage door and then have my code door on the garage and then my front door that's connected to the internet that I can unlock and, and lock uh, if I forget it and all those things. But once again, Apple has tried to solve it with their home app but yet, the manufacturer of the front door lock doesn't pair with it, but the other two do. Like, I can control my garage door, and but the physical door inside the garage is only keypad. So, there's three steps to get to where I had a key, you know, that one thing.
2: Large ecosystem yeah. comment earlier, right? Yes. Again, well, yeah. Again, how important are questions?
1: What type of cores does your facility use? Yeah. Often gets forgotten. Right? Yes. And yes, then it's it like, these are the wrong cores that you have spec. Oh,
0: what? So, Matt, how has we talk about the, we've talked about products. How has the digital universe and how has that impacted your experience with your clients today? Are you communicating with them more? Is it uh, helped you streamline communications? What is your customer today experience from a digital perspective from lensing?
2: You know, the the technologies have been around for a while are so obvious now. They're they're hardly worth mentioning, but let's go ahead and mention them because sometimes we forget where we've been. It was uh, not too long ago common for a set of submittal drawings that would be submitted to a general contractor and then ultimately to the architect for review and approval to be done in hard copy via mail.
1: I was going to say, it wasn't that long ago, fax.
2: And then fax was (laughs) was a more expedient option than mail. Uh, fortunately now occasionally just depends on the project parameters we've bypassed email it can go to a direct upload portal where multiple parties have the ability to review comment and it can provide a, a better sort of centralized record-keeping system I would say that there are difficulties at different levels in the chain with some of the technologies out there you know I'm hearing uh, in larger markets really talented individuals leave the construction industry because they've They determined that they got into the industry to build buildings, not be a data entry clerk. And so the key, I think, for the the next leap in construction technology as it relates to project management is for automation to help with that data entry element. And where the human beings and the the knowledge gets back to interpreting data, uh, anticipating issues, reacting, and solving problems. And becomes less about data entry. and yeah. we're still in the early stages of adopting that. Technology.
1: Well, I think the touchscreen is going to help with that where you can take a stylus and mark up shop drawings. A lot of times the problem with shop drawings, as Matt knows, goes back to door hardware and you're getting a one hundred and fifty page submittal. It's really hard to view that digitally. I'm sure they'll come up with a way bigger monitors where you can see every but constantly fit back and forth between pages. But, uh, so that's one of the challenges that I think is hurt, but also with the digital of uploading, you mark everything up, you upload it. And I've seen where you go to a meeting and the guy in the field doesn't have the markups and you're like, I marked this up.
2: You know, that's the back to the ecosystem. Uh, we have, have been frustrated to no end. In fact, we've, we've changed our policies and so we will now send out, closeout documents, not to just the project manager for, say, one of our contractor clients. And it's all well-intentioned. They've got reams of data coming into them. But, you know, uh, nothing spells disaster like when we, the supplier, are called out to the job site to evaluate why an opening's not functioning correctly. We trot out there with our approved submittals and the superintendent, for whatever reason, has been left to his own devices with, say, the construction documents. Okay. And this, you know, it's it's literally at this point two different projects because of the changes that have been made and the changes may be driven by the owner. And so not to say that the contractor is the only one guilty. That happens at all layers of the, of the ecosystem. But uh, technology that could help compress that and eliminate that it is being touted as ready. I haven't seen it perform as a silver bullet just yet. But to Mike's point, we're, we are getting closer with field devices and iPads. Our field technicians uh, will not be at a site without iPads, so they have connectivity to the documents that our office has prepared in the field. That's almost like table stakes right now. I wouldn't say that's terribly innovative, but it'd be hard to be effective without those tools.
1: Let's switch gears again and go because uh, you mentioned emotion as part of your experience when you think about experience. And so, what's a what's a space that makes you emotional or or Brings out some emotion when you visit.
2: Well, for those of you that know me really well, I mean, I'm highly emotional. So, uh, no, this is actually a little bit difficult for me in in thinking about this because there aren't necessarily a tremendous amount of spaces that this space in and of itself evoked emotions for me. But I'm going to come back to that. So the first answer is spaces where I'm with my family. So the home, vacations, uh, activities those spaces seem to generate emotions. But I I do want to give you an example of where I I was in a space this summer, and, and you've already heard me speak to our trip to New York City. I did visit the September 11th Twin Towers Memorial, and the emotional and moving part of that was the connection and the sense of people that that memorial has been able to transfer. And it's an unfortunate memorial, but it is extremely well done and extremely moving and an extremely respectfully designed space. So for those of you listening that haven't been there, I strongly encourage you to visit it. And uh, I do expect that you'd find that space emotional for all the obvious reasons. And and I just want to say incredibly well done in a respectful manner. Back to perhaps a more brighter topic. I was thinking of the Ford Center, and when I've experienced good emotions, it's normally been when the Aces have won a close game yeah, or been to an enjoyable concert. And so I think I'm not on the design side, but a space without any people in it is going to be empty. Uh, so the goal must be, and Mike, you chime in here, the goal must be it's not designed for the sake of what it looks like in a photograph. It's designed for the sake of what, what do the people,
1: how how do people experience it? Yep, exactly right. Because even a memorial and you take away the names and you take away how it functions probably. And now, and if it was uh, not meaning this in a disrespectful way, but if it's just a hole in the ground that had no meaning behind it, that had no personal connection, that has no, it doesn't drive experience for Uh, the people that visit it or or use it like the Ford Center. It's all shaped around people.
0: So earlier on, like uh, almost 40 minutes ago plus, I talked about your degrees in finance and your uh, business degrees. How does those passions of finance and business, how does that impact your customer today and the way you attack your customer
2: experience? Honestly, I'd like to think it gives us an advantage. It's given me an advantage over time because my frame of reference for a situation or an opportunity is not the product or the latest and greatest gadget. It's, does this make sense to to the overall operation? And then you can attach dollars and cents to how a product functions. Right. right. So, you know, sometimes it happens to all of us. We get so close to a topic that we sometimes need that perspective from one layer removed. And I'd like to think that that uh, aids in the construction community because it, it it doesn't become about what's the right way to uh, install a certain product because we've always done it that way or that's how I was taught to do it before is economically and financially what makes the most sense, but not just for us as the sub or supplier. What about the general contractor? What about the end user? Uh, you know, there's an infinite number of ways to run a construction schedule. And I'd like to think that the appreciation for the business and economic side of it allows us to be a more responsive sub because we can anticipate not just what the impact is to us, but maybe to the GC or the end user on how a schedule is arrived at or are undertaken. So when you go through that process,
0: do you ever, with everyone in the room, do you ever get that? Come on, we're wildly creative. We want to do all these things. You know, the sky's the limit. And, and do you ever get that experience, that feedback of, come on, man, what, what's going on here? Like, why don't you see this vision?
2: Well, remember, we're there to discuss and be prepared to address with a cold, hard reality. So, right. not too often does the team say, let's just do something wildly creative. In fact, we're often trying to. <laughs> to atone for someone's wildly creative ideas uh, potentially on the design side. So, we'll get we we will use our creativity to help make it a reality. Yeah. You know, unfortunately sometimes we have to say just because it was drawn that way doesn't mean it can work that way. So, so there's a better example of how our creativity is typically well, to I bear. Think,
1: I think it's changing because we're, we're you know, we're working with Matt's team a lot of times to say, okay, they want this look. What products do you have that would, you know, I think uh, the product you use at Victoria on their front doors was one recently where I was like, I didn't even know you guys supplied that uh, product, but great. That'll, this is what, probably what the client's looking for. So it wasn't exactly what we drew up. No, but it met the intent look for what the client wanted.
2: So we do get creative, but I think we, we, we know our role and we'll leave the initial creativity, the envelope pushing creativity. To the design team most yeah. of the time and then and then we get creative and helping them achieve their goals down. yeah
0: simplify simplify so as we begin to wrap up is there a person product or brand to you that has the most authentic design experience today like is there a brand is there a person that you've met that just said you know the way in which they conduct themselves in person online like or a brand, a product. Give me an example of who's doing it right for the overall
2: consumer experience. Shooting from the hip here, on the spot. The kids recently became aware of Mr. Rogers. And there's some been, you know, there's a movie out right now. It's a it's a it's a pop topic, right? It's a pop culture topic. So let's just touch on that. So I don't recall the last time I'd seen Mr. Rogers neighborhood episode and saw one the other night. And thought to myself, probably the things that most of us would think at this age, it's a little corny, it's a little goofy. And I also came away with a healthy dose of, this individual stayed very true to what he believed his mission was. Darn the snickers and the laughs and the questioning, Yeah, a very authentic representation of what his mission was. And I I have not seen the new movie, but from all accounts I'm hearing, it's well-received and-
1: yeah, I'm surprised you guys haven't seen uh, Daniel Tiger on PBS.
2: The kids love Daniel, Daniel Tiger, and that's Tiger, prompted yes. the interest, you know, to the original, to the original, right? Yeah, to the original puppet. And... In fact, they're coming about it in reverse, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They they think Daniel Tiger was first, and Mister Rogers is second, and obviously, us older folks know that's not the case. But so there's just one out of pop culture that comes to mind. Yeah, but. Um, you know, let me think about one here in the industry. I'm going to say Rainer Garage Doors, and I'm going to say Rainer Garage Doors for this reason. Uh, they've been family-owned for a long time. They've had different family members come and go in leadership positions, and yet it is apparent that they take great joy in providing a reliable product that is often the most used door in someone's household. Exterior door, of course. The most uh, used exterior door in someone's house. Uh, they recently uh, came out with a new security feature, and they've sort of. We always say you find out what your values are when you're willing to write a check for them. And so they have a program in place that uh, if you suffer from a break-in with a door that has this security feature, they'll pay for the cost of a new door. Wow! And so they're that they feel that strongly about it. I didn't come here to give a bold-faced advertisement for them, yeah. but that's uh, that's an authentic approach to standing behind your product.
0: Is there anything – we're coming down to the end of the year. Holidays are here and you get into 2020. What's the one thing on your list that you look forward to experiencing in the, the next six, nine, 12 months?
2: I uh – I think our team is continuing to adopt to the Internet of Things reality and embracing technology. Uh, I look forward to gatherings. We're not in the building environment because we want everyone to stay at home. And I think, you know, in our culture, there is a tendency with technology now to not have to convene. Right. Uh, This this could have been done.
0: Yeah, we could have. Facebook yeah. Live, did YouTube, and, and did a little WebEx.
2: And, and I'm not sure that the that the, the uh, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of listeners out there would have benefited from that. Uh, getting together and doing this in person added value. And so Mike designs buildings so that people can enjoy their space. And you design content and provide content so people are motivated to enjoy their spaces in a different way. And we really enjoy participating in that. I'm looking forward to to what this community is continuing to do and how it's continuing to grow. We have spaces that weren't here five years ago, 10 years ago, and I don't think we're done. Um, It seems like we're on the upswing, uh, certainly in terms of of reinventing uh, parts of our urban and core spaces. And let's continue to be willing to change and adapt.
0: So as we wrap here, how do our listeners, as you mentioned, the millions and millions actually uh, will retract the millions? And millions I just at got this an point. update that, that yeah. we're this is a this is trending, trending right now. This is, a trending topic yeah, on this is it, it should be
2: uh, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't I didn't check which column it was trending in. It could be trending in the parody column. Uh,
0: <laughs> it has been an entertaining yeah. and uh, insightful conversation. Uh, so, how do listeners connect with you? Today, and how do listeners connect with Lensing Building Special?
2: Sure. So the timing of this was not intentional, but we've recently launched new websites. And, of course, uh, with that, we're, we're proud of those efforts. Architectualsales.com is where I'd suggest most folks go to check us out. You'll find out a little bit about our company history and and what, more details about what we do. Of course, I'm available. Uh, there's there's direct access to me through the website email phone, I'm easily gotten a hold of. Are you a Insta guy? Are you on Are you on
0: Insta? Are you doing Snapchat? So I mean,
2: this is where across? your guest screening process has fallen short it because has. I'm a intentionally low profile on social media. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah and I will add, I'll uh, help Matt out, but they have a beautiful showroom. Yes. Beautiful on, showroom on, on East side yeah. of it. Uh, River. River
2: Road. For those of you that uh, feel your your you would like to have a different and better experience in your kitchen, perhaps we have ways to assist your kitchen cabinetry. I think so highly of the space that I discourage my uh, lovely spouse from going to the showroom because it would only cost <laughs> oh. us a, a, a likely you know renovation or remodel. Uh, but we'd love to have everyone else come by and see what's going on. So. So I may not be as visible on social media as you. What's your favorite
0: though? If there was a favorite. What is my favorite social
2: media? I'm a, I guess you could say I'm a social media traditionalist. Twitter seems to fit the bill. Okay. Most of the time. Information
0: links Mm -hmm. catches your attention. Short, sweet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, uh, any closing words here as we wrap up episode four of the at Five Thirty on main podcast? No,
1: I think it was very enjoyable and I appreciate Matt joining us and, at least he didn't talk too poorly about us architects. And, <laughs> but no, we try to help him out and do the best we can. Do a good, good project at the end is all we're striving for, everyone.
2: If I could make a, rec- a professional recommendation, thank you, Mike, for those kind words. You know, engage with architectural uh, professionals like Mike and and those at his firm that take the design process seriously. It is a process; it's not a necessarily an outcome. And I would say. If you want a good outcome, be prepared to invest some time and make some tough decisions. They'll guide you along the way and they'll help, but you can't appreciate the amount of decisions that will be going into it, and they stand ready to help with that. But you got to be willing to listen. So. Well, thank you
0: for joining us in the Extension Studio. Enjoy the holiday season with your wife and children, and uh, go thank get you. a win for uh, Good Shepherd this weekend, maybe. Good
2: Shepherd. We've got yeah. sixth grade girls team competing I think that's Good Shepherd gold yes and then we've got the fourth grade Good Shepherd purple competing and then this weekend kicks off Tiger Cup basketball for first graders man
1: there might be some fun holiday gym games at Good Shepherd mm-hmm. yes <laughs> yeah.
0: yes so alright that concludes episode number four of the At 530 on Main podcast go Rams thank you
1: Thanks again for tuning into this episode of at Five Thirty on main hosted by Sean Collins and Mike Davis. Please leave us a review and share your thoughts on today's episode. Let us know how you've been inspired or what you would like to hear on future episodes. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, help us spread the word, share us on your social channels, message, a friend, rate the podcast.
0: Without you, this experience would not be possible.